Well, good morning, everybody. Um, as you know, we've been following a theme since January of listening to God and understanding how we pray better. And uh, that's really part of what I want to talk about today because we don't move away from a topic like listening to God. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point? But we are going to be looking at the kingdom and, and what it means. Uh, the kingdom of God, or as it's usually called in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And we're praying that as a church, out of that, we will have a, a fresh revelation of God, his power, his wisdom, his nature, that we'll understand more fully what it means for us to be his people, royal, holy, belonging to him. And that we can reach others with the good news of hope, healing, and forgiveness. I was really struck during the worship time about how many of the songs that we sang are basically what I'm going to be talking about today. So if, if, if it sounds a bit, oh yes, I've heard that already this morning, um, I think God is really speaking to us about some important things. So let's take it as, as confirmation here. Um, so as uh, Fiona said, the topic of the kingdom of God is actually huge. <laughs> um, we've been looking at it uh, since middle of February. And every time we dig into it, there's just more. You think, oh, wow, and that, and this, and that. It's absolutely huge. But it's also... For me personally, I'm finding very exciting, so I hope over the next months as we explore this together, um, you'll be excited too. Today, obviously, I'm not going to try and cover every aspect of the kingdom. Today's just an introduction to get us started. So over the next several months, our Sunday speakers are going to be expanding on a number of the things that we talk about today, plus add some, some new ones. We'll have opportunities to explore further in our home groups. And we have a team working on extra stuff that we can um, use, either for personal study or in groups, to help us to, to explore this more, to hear what God wants us to know uh, about his kingdom. And I'm hoping that from today, um, you'll maybe hear some new things, maybe hear some things that you already know, but you see in a fresh way, maybe some challenges. Um, if there's anything that I say this morning and you think, really, where, where does he get that from? <laughs> I'm very happy to, to talk to you about it. Um, but I, I pray that you'll be listening to God as, we, as we've been worshipping. We hear God as I speak. I hope you'll listen for what he's saying to you. So the kingdom, when Jesus, very, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry... He, he started preaching with a very simple message. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, in Matthew. And in Mark, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe in the good news. Repent, as you know, doesn't mean confess your sins. The phrase for that in the Bible is confess your sins. <laughs> Repent means change the way you think. See things differently. 
Renew your mind. Get your head pointing in a different direction. And why? Well, Jesus is telling his listeners, get your head pointing in a different direction because the kingdom of God is now within reaching distance. And this is seriously good news. That's where he begins the whole of his ministry. So that's one reason it's clearly important for us to know about. The second thing is, when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, they're obviously impressed by how he prays, and they say to him, can you teach us? And he says, pray like this. And then the reading which Angela brought to us. Our Father in heaven, he starts, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then with that as the starting point, we can start asking for what we need. For daily practical needs like food, for forgiveness for when we've messed up and so on. When Jesus says this is how you should pray, he's obviously not giving us a script but he's giving us a model for what we should pray about. As a personal confession, (laughs) I tend to dive fairly quickly when I pray into the bits like, here's my list of things I need for today. And forgive me for messing this up. I don't know whether you (laughs) find that as well. Asking God to meet our practical needs and for forgiveness are obviously vital but it needs to be based on the first bit. Jesus Jesus recognizes that focusing on our own needs and situation is pretty natural. And later in the same chapter in uh, Matthew, he says, your heavenly father knows you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I don't know whether you've noticed, but less than half of the Lord's Prayer is about me. Most of it is about God. So in the Lord's Prayer, the first thing is to recognize who it is we're praying to. We're not praying to our inner spirit or to a life force or the vibration of the cosmos. That is something that people say, but that isn't who we're praying to. We pray to a God who is real, who is alive, who thinks and feels, but who is fundamentally different in nature from us. He created the universe, so he can't be anything in it. Second, is recognizing what our relationship with him is. We call him Father, our Father who's in heaven. Jesus never refers to God as the Father of anyone other than Jesus himself and his own followers. In other words, those who've come to the Father through Jesus. In in their letters, Paul, Peter, and John also make this really clear lots of times, something that I had missed until fairly recently, but it's true. 
Sadly, the first line of an otherwise excellent hymn is wrong. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Yes, forgive our foolish ways. God is the creator of all mankind, but he's not the father of us all. St. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 4, that through Jesus we receive adoption into sonship. Which is why, Paul says, we can call him Abba, Father. That's why, not because we're people and not because God made us, but because and if we have been received into sonship through adoption. Not everyone has received adoption into sonship. When we come to God through Jesus Christ and accept his forgiveness, we become sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. So praying our Father right at the beginning reminds us not just that he created us, but that we who believe have now received a special, a different relationship with the Creator through Jesus. Third point from the Lord's Prayer that I want to bring out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Seek first God's kingdom. As Jesus is giving us the Lord's Prayer as a model for how we pray, we need to be praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, as frequently and as earnestly as anything else we pray. Personally, I haven't been doing that. So, I've started. <laughs> I've started praying the Lord's Prayer frequently, but rather than just banging through it, because we've done that for decades, taking, each, taking time on each part, thinking and praying about who God is and who I am, what he's done and what he's doing. Our Father in heaven, you can spend ages on that. Hallowed be your name. So the kingdom is clearly absolutely key for us, but what do we actually mean by a kingdom? So very simple, actually. A kingdom is by definition, it has a king, and the king does not exist alone. There are other people or other beings that recognize him as the king. You think of the story who's, uh, of the guy who's shipwrecked on a desert island, and he's the king of the island, he says. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't actually mean anything, does it? So the king has other beings, other people there that recognize the king as king. And second, the king reigns, meaning he decides what's acceptable in the kingdom. And these things are based on his values, in other words, what he sees as important. So in essence, the nature of a kingdom is quite simple. You've got a king, you've got people who aren't the king, and the king decides what's important and what needs to happen. But it gets complicated when we try to think of practical examples in our own experience. We could take the UK 
uh, as our example, or the Kingdom of Denmark, or the Kingdom of Thailand. Not here today. Um, in the first century, Jesus' Jewish listeners would know about the kingdoms of Israel, Judah, Babylon, Assyria, and Persia, all from their own history. But these are all examples of human kingdoms, which, to be honest, are very mixed. Um, until the 19th century, I don't know whether you knew, but most countries were monarchies. Some kings had absolute power of life and death over everyone in their kingdom, often based just on a whim. If they didn't like the person or they thought the person was being rude, as it says in Alice in Wonderland, off with his head. Nowadays, in most remaining monarchies, the king is more symbolic and the real power lies elsewhere. And realistically and historically, some kings are or have been good, some are fairly inconsequential, some are bad, and some have been really awful. So how is God's kingdom different from the ones we, we can see and study? In Jesus' time, as I said, the Jews would have been taught not only about, about kingdoms in their history, but they'd also have been taught about God as king. Paul Luckrat's going to tell us more about that next week. Um, but today, I want to focus on some key features of, of the kingdom itself. And for simplicity, just, just as a contrast, we'll use the UK as a human example, because we're all at least fairly familiar with that. First of all, the UK is limited. Those of you who come from other countries know that not everywhere is the UK. <laughs> if you cross the Channel or you go to Southern Ireland, there are perfectly legitimate governments over there which do not implement the laws signed by King Charles. Shock horror. Second, it's God's right to be king simply because he made everything that is. King Charles's right comes from his mother and hers from her father and her father's from his father, etc., etc., back to some guy in the Middle Ages who had more resources and more supporters than his rivals did. Now, that might sound flippant, but you get the point, don't you? And Charles's ancestors acquired land, property, and so on, that previously belonged to somebody else. But God is different. If I make something with my own resources, it's mine. God made the universe and everything in it from nothing. And it's his by right. However, there are some parts of God's creation that don't recognize him as king. This is not about places, but about spiritual beings who know who God is and reject his rule. The good news is that they have already been defeated by Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's only a matter of time before their defeat is final. And there are other people out there in the town, for example, who don't know who God is 
and the wandering around lost. But in the meantime, we who follow Jesus are called to live as citizens of the kingdom, to resist the enemy, and to invite others to recognize God as king and enter his kingdom. So there's an aspect of God's kingdom which is both now and not yet. It's real now because we as believers are part of it, (laughs) so we know it's real now. But we still wait for every knee to bow and recognize that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So because of the not yet aspect, we're called to pray for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And an important part of this, as I talked about just now, is that not everyone is in the kingdom. I was born in the UK. Citizenship is my right. It hasn't cost me anything, and mostly I just take it for granted. Normally, the only time I even think about it really is if I need to renew my passport. Some of you know my son-in-law Jaime, who was born in Chile. He wasn't born here. He has had to go through a process to become a citizen. He's had to apply. It took a long time, a lot of hassle, and cost a lot of money. And he said, you wouldn't do it unless you really wanted to. We've got other people, I'm sure, who can identify with that. It also involved, for Jaime, declaring that he recognized the authority and laws of the United Kingdom. Now he's a citizen. He wasn't born one, he was adopted. And that, that is the model of how we become citizens of the kingdom of God. We're adopted. We don't have the right. We ask on the basis of really wanting to and recognizing and accepting the authority and rule of God. And there is a heavy price, but Jesus has paid it for us. It's great, isn't it? (laughs) So we we who've entered the kingdom are called to extend that invitation to those who haven't yet. So what is this kingdom like then that we're involved in and we're inviting people to? Well, first of all, the king is different. King Charles doesn't know Martin Maris as a person. (laughs) You may be surprised to hear. He doesn't know who I spoke to yesterday or what I'm doing today. He doesn't intervene on my behalf. He doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. King Charles will have bad days and he'll make mistakes. He's remote. I see him on the television. He doesn't see me at all. He only knows, ever knows, part of the story. 
He's biased. Ultimately, King Charles is probably more interested in himself than in Martin Maris. Now, just to say, before I get carted off to prison, <laughs> this is not a criticism of King Charles. It's a description of any human being, right? And to be fair, on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm more interested in myself than in King Charles. But fundamentally, King Charles can't change my heart. He can't make me right. But God knows me intimately. He knows every part. He knows what I do. He knows how I feel. He's fair and just. He knows the end from the beginning. He's unchanging. He's unfailing. He's loving. He's kind. He's forgiving. He cares about and speaks to each one of us. Jesus said, if we want to know what the Father's like, look at him, look at Jesus. Jesus came to serve. Because the king, God the king, is very different from human kings, the way his kingdom operates is also very different. Our king is also a servant. That is... <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> he rules fairly, not for his own gain. He turns things upside down. The first shall be last. The one who wants to be important must serve everybody else. Things that are done quietly seem to have more value than those that are done publicly. Think about social media. Don't we live in a country where the reverse is true? If people don't know about it, it doesn't count. In God's kingdom, the reverse is true. If someone has a right to ask you to go one mile, go two. And so on, and so on, and so on. This is a different life that we're called to, and it's a challenge, but it is good. And by that, I don't mean it's fun and enjoyable, because sometimes it is, sometimes it's tough, but it is good in its fundamental meaning. What else? Well, God reigns. In the UK, God, uh, uh, the government rules or reigns via laws. I discovered that in this country, we have about 15,000 15, new laws and amendments every year. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, really? And they are to regulate what people can and can't do. 15,000 new ones a year. <laughs> God has laws so that his people know what's right and wrong, but within the kingdom, he writes them on our hearts. 
His spirit guides us. And it's not a kingdom full of laws regulating everything we do down to the last detail. James, in his letter, calls God's law the perfect law, not hundreds of laws, but the perfect law that gives freedom. Jesus says the laws can be summed up as love the Lord with And that's it, folks. We haven't got 15,000 new ones a year. So in God's kingdom, it's different. There are guidelines and principles and freedom and promises. Our government makes very few promises to us. And King Charles, even fewer. <laughs> now, to be fair to King Charles, that's not really his job. Okay? But you get the point, don't you? But God's promises to us, in other words, what God is committing himself to do, is an integral part of how his kingdom operates. Depending on how you count them, there are between three and a half thousand and nearly nine thousand promises in the Bible. God is God, and God is reigning, and God will keep his promises. What else? Well, it's also a supernatural kingdom. We, in this room, are part of creation, the natural world, if you like, with its laws of physics and chemistry. But God isn't. So if the king intervenes because of a promise or because of a prayer, we can expect that the intervention will be supernatural. And sometimes... Miraculous. More on that in later talks in the series. <laughs> you getting excited? I, I just think this is amazing stuff. Final point for today. If God's the king, we are the servants, right? Partly. <laughs> Partly. We're described in various ways in the Bible. First of all, we're formed from the dust of the earth. As you probably know, all the chemicals in our body are found in the earth in soil. So we are clearly part of this physical world. And in terms of raw materials, we're each worth about 80p. <laughs> so unless there is a purpose unless there is a meaning to it all, that's what we're worth. Second thing that we're told about ourselves in the Bible is that we're like the potter's clay. God is the potter and he molds and shapes us into something useful and beautiful. We're also told that we are like sheep, and he is the good shepherd. Sheep, 
unlike the potter's clay, the sheep can make choices. Shall I eat this tuft of grass next, or shall I try that one over there? But if they have any sense, they're going to follow the shepherd. We're also called servants, which is what you'd expect in a kingdom. But Jesus says to his disciples, us, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Because servants, he says, don't know the master's business. They just do what they're told. They don't know why. But we are let in on God's purposes. We can talk to him about what and why. God shares his plans with us. So we're also friends with the king, the creator of the universe. And it gets better. By adoption into the kingdom, we're elevated from family friends to part of the family itself. We're sons and daughters of the king. And as such, we become heirs of the king. Now that's the point where I'm going to stop because I can't get my head around that series of descriptions. <laughs> I can cope sort of with the sons and daughters, but what, what does an heir mean if we have an eternal king? Anyway, I shall leave that to my betters. But the point of all this is for those of us who have entered the kingdom, they're all equally true. We're created by God, we're shaped by him, we're followers of him, we're servants, we're friends, we're sons and daughters, and we're heirs. And again, personal confession, I see myself often as some of those more than others. Yeah, and if you think about that for yourself, and so probably all of us from time to time need to realign ourselves with the fact that they're all true. To align ourselves with the whole of how God sees us. So I just want to finish by summarizing some of the key points from today and then Fiona's going to lead us uh, in thinking and praying about this. First of all, it's important to remember who God is. Are we recognizing the fullness of his majesty, of his glory? And if not, how can we remind ourselves during the week? Clue, this is how you pray. Second, to remember who we are. Do we see ourselves as dust of the earth, as potter's clay, sheep, servant, friend, son or daughter? Air? And what's our response to how God sees us? Third thing, remember we are in the kingdom now. How can we, working with the Holy Spirit, impact the world around us? Rather than just saying, I'm in the kingdom, great, and sit there. What is it we're called to do? Are there parts of Jesus' pattern for praying that we neglect or under-pray? 
and just as out of today, pray persistently for the kingdom to come. And fifth, if you have not accepted the invitation to enter the kingdom yet, what do you plan to do about it?